and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journalist Politics Podcast. I am your host, a very snotty Emma Graney, and this is the Courts and Communication Edition. With me today, I have Stuart Thompson. Hey. How are you doing? I'm really good. That's good. I didn't give you my cold. No, I That's seem to have avoided awesome. it. <laughs> I'm really, I'm so glad. <laughs> At Paula Simons. Good day. Keith gave me his call two weeks ago, so I'm hoping that that was the same call you now have. <laughs> Keith is patient zero. Let's blame it on him. And Graham Thompson. Hello. And I have my own cold. Thank you, you very much. <laughs> oh, good. Really? I just got over the last cold I caught in this studio, so I'm sincerely hoping that you two can <laughs> gonna have to plunge my hands into... <laughs> Sell the moment we leave. Probably do that. I would. I would recommend it. But at least my voice is sounding very broadcasty and very deep, and like I'm knowledgeable. I'll just get rid of all those misconceptions once I open my mouth. So this was the first full week of sitting. So we're going to have a quick chat about how that went and some of the questions that were thrown to the government, which were not. Well, they weren't all that new. Cough. Carbon tax. Cough. We're also going to dive briefly into the world of student politics. But the big issue of the week was, of course, the new court triage protocol. So I think we'll talk about that first. Um, The government brought this in to deal with the huge backlog of cases that's been caused in part by um, a lack of resources and also a large population increase and more charges in Alberta, but also the Jordan ruling, which basically imposes a time limit on how long courts have to get a case to trial. So what happened this week, Stu? And I know that you wrote a couple of stories about this. Uh, yeah, actually, I found myself um, supplying our court reporter, Paige Parsons, who kind of has been leading this for us uh, with uh, quotes from the justice minister. So if you're a reporter, that's a pretty good spot to be in. You just run out and go into a scrum and ask the meanest question you can think of and then uh, send the tape off. In a polite um, fashion, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is that was a really interesting week because it's been going on for about a week and a half. And... Um, you could tell from the beginning, because I was in all those scrums, that this was a really uncomfortable spot for the Justice Minister be, to be in. And every scrum that I was in, I would ask, is there more money coming in the budget? Is this a resource problem? Are there going to be more resources? And you could sort of tell, I could see in her eyes that she just wanted to say, yes, yes, <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> um, but they kept saying, no, no, like, we might have something in the budget, Um you know, it's coming on next Thursday. Uh, so right, because they never type. want to unveil anything that's happening in the budget before yeah. the budget is unveiled. Because they want a big splash. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it wasn't y- the best option to do it here, was it? I, it turned out not to be because uh, they seem to have preempted their budget announcement here. And they've uh, it's 35 new positions plus the 15 they were already hiring. Um, so it's 50 total there uh, for prosecutors. And uh, this was something that it came, I, I think we were in that, question period, which was pretty, you could sort of tell that the government was on their heels about that. And uh, I think this is something that they they knew they had to do. And uh, it became pretty clear politically, it was an imperative for them. Absolutely. And it was funny, uh, when you say politically, and I want to weigh in on this too. Well, I don't want to weigh in. I would like you all to weigh in on this. Now go Angela, ahead and weigh in. Angela, Angela Pitt from the Wild Rose, while there was a scrum on this, she called them the NDP hugger thugs. A, that rhymes, so good job. Um, but B, that's kind of, there is that perception sometimes that the well, NDP but, side but, of the spectrum is this, more. But this is bananas. I mean, this is a problem. <laughs> I, I know, I know. It's it's a year and a half in and we can't go on blaming the PCs for everything. But this is absolutely a problem that this government inherited both from the provincial progressive conservatives and from the federal conservatives. I mean, so... We have two sets of courts in this province. We have the Court of Queen's Bench, where judges are appointed federally, and we have the Provincial Court, where judges are appointed provincially. Stephen Harper, for all of his talk about being 
tough on crime, just left judges' positions vacant on the Court of Queen's Bench, like an insane number of vacancies that he never, ever filled for reasons that baffled the imagination. And then when the Trudeau liberals came into power, they had a list of people they could have appointed. And then they decided, oh, no, no, those are Harper's appointments. We want to go back through the list and make sure that our appointments are more representative and diverse. And so as a result, we have this constipation in appointments to the federal uh, Court of Queen's Bench appointments. At the provincial court, uh, successive justice ministers in this province have not been appointing uh, judges to the provincial court in in pace, have not been funding uh, the Crown Prosecutor's Office. And on top of that, then we have legal aid, which pays for the defense of indigent criminals, which is funded jointly by the province and the feds, and both the conservatives federally and the uh, progressive conservatives provincially didn't fund that level of, of the justice system appropriately. So we ended up with a system where we didn't have enough judges. We didn't have enough prosecutors. We didn't have enough uh, uh, criminal defense lawyers being paid by legal aid. And on top of that, we had a drastic shortage of court clerks, which may not sound urgent, but you can't have a trial without a clerk in the courtroom. So if you don't have clerks and you don't have lawyers and you don't have judges, you don't have convictions. On top of which, uh, Jonathan Dennis, when he was justice minister, uh, because they didn't have a hug a thug position, the idea was they would prosecute everybody to the absolute limit of the law, which meant that you had cases coming to trial that should never have been to trial in the first place. They should have been pled out or they should never have been charged in the first place. If you're charging everybody with every petty offense and instead of doing it as a misdemeanor and a fine, you put it through the criminal court system, you back up everything and then add to that the fact that Alberta's population has effectively doubled. And yes, we have a problem. And uh, just to note quickly. <laughs> wow, Paula, this is really, <laughs> wow, this and is Our podcast you. could end right here. <laughs> I, I think it is, you mentioned Jonathan Dennis, I the the driving force behind a lot of this is the Jordan Supreme Court ruling, which has put a limit on these. It's 18 months for a provincial case and 30 months for a court of Queen's bench case. So there actually is, you know, it's against the law to go too long without these charges being stayed. So well, it's, yeah, it's not against the law, but the court will the court will will the, kick them out yeah. if the Jordan application is approved. Um, but. And this creates a really big problem. This is a problem in the medical examiner's office, too, because they have to get stuff to trial, too. And uh, that this is not an easy thing for any province to handle. And you can see this. They're talking about thousands of potential delays in the uh, Ontario cases, right. yeah, too. Yeah, because, because let's, be, let's be clear about this. This is a nationwide problem. I mean, in Alberta, it's made more acute by the fact that our population has gone up so dramatically. But this goes back to Stephen Harper. And it's the most bizarre thing, because if you're Stephen Harper and your whole platform is that you were tough on crime, why wouldn't you appoint judges? Why wouldn't you fund prosecutors? I mean, it I have a theory it, on that, too. Okay. You I, have, uh, <laughs> please. I've, I've, I've now said all my words. I've used up all my allotment for this podcast. Uh, all of my, I find all that of hard my, to believe. All my anger is done here. I, they had a lot of trouble at the Supreme Court finding someone who fit their template of what they wanted out of a judge. And I think they had that same problem all the way through the system. So they weren't finding the judges who had a temperament and a, a leaning that they expected. And it created a backlog, I think. Because they were looking, they were looking for uh, hard on, for, uh, yeah. tough on crime, right? So they just, oh bugger it, we just won't have any judges then, <laughs> yeah. and then no one will get through the system. That's super tough. Good job. And so the problem here for the NDP is the optics of this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The the NDP the hug a thug thing. The hug -a -th well, mm. there's that, but there's also the issue of um, the NDP was apparently planning on doing this for some time in the budget. Also, there. Were, when they announced it on Thursday, it came on the heels of media reports leaking that protocol about how they were triaging 
the um, charges and court cases. Then you have the the uh, wild rose in the house slamming the government, criticizing over this. And then all of a sudden, on the Thursday, the government announces, we've got more money and we can announce this. So it looked like the government was reacting to the media and the wild rose. Now, the government officials tell me, no, no, they had this plan for some time. And in fact, they were going to actually announce it before the budget. They said in advance the the fourteen point five million dollars. No, they weren't. They're telling me this now. Saying the problem. Of course, they're telling you that now. Of course, the thing (laughs) is, it looks really bad for them. It looks like they are they are reacting to the wild rose, the opposition, and the media by preempting their budget a a week in advance. They're announcing money to hire more crown prosecutors. Of course, course what what set this off was last week when I was safely away on vacation and looked at my phone and saw that the new chief crown prosecutor, I didn't realize that Shelley Bikowicz had been appointed the new chief crown prosecutor. She's a young prosecutor. I've seen her in court often because she handled a lot of child abuse cases. Um, She's a very effective and very empathetic prosecutor uh, handling some of the the, you know the, the toughest, most emotionally wrenching files. Um, so she's the new chief crown, and she put out a list and said, "Here are all here are all the cases that I am kicking now because we're not going to prosecute this." Um, and once she does that, then that opens the floodgates. The Globe Mail had a really good story, but that, that actual protocol they actually got it leaked to them. So so they see how this is the, the government of Alberta reacting to something when they keep telling us they were ahead of it all along. Well, it looks really odd that they're doing all the announcements after these things become public. But wasn't the triage protocol already in place? It's just that yeah. it then kind yeah. of was... It was actually... We, we saw it in the media. They were using it already, weren't they? We, we saw it in the media. Yeah. This is the protocol that Shelley Bikowicz was using to decide yes, which cases to kick. I mean, and people need to understand because I had people writing to me and saying, well, well does this mean that murderers aren't going to get prosecuted? It's like, no, sweetie. That's what triage means. It means you go through and you look at the ones where you think... Eh, that should never really have been charged in the first place. Eh, we don't really have a lot of evidence here. Eh, you know, the most he's going to get is three months because he's had time served. So you go through. I mean, you know, I grew up watching MASH. Triage means you, you're going you're you're like, <laughs> you, you, you take the most serious ones. So this does not mean, in theory, that rapists and murderers will go free. The whole point of this is to, is to drop off the ones that are the less serious charges so that you can focus on the more serious ones. Now, if you're the person who's the victim of that less serious crime, it doesn't seem very unserious to yeah. you. Uh, so there are going to be people... Who are very angry. But remember, I mean, this goes back when when Rob Anderson was the Wild Rose justice critic, um, you know, five premiers ago. Uh, I remember that there was a case in Airdrie that was a sexual assault that was punted because it had it had run too long. Yeah. One of um, one of know. the criteria is, is it likely we're going to get a conviction? That's and right. And, that- I, and I remember when Alison Redford was justice minister. <laughs> My life flashes before my eyes. When <laughs> Alison Redford was justice minister, you know, she put the blame on the criminal defense bar and said, well, it's, you know, it's their fault because they're running the clock on these cases uh, and they're gaming the system. Now, I think it's long past time that we have a serious look in this province at the fact that we don't have paid public defenders. I mean, the way we administer legal aid is not the way you see it on law and order. You're not entitled to a lawyer here paid for by the government. Only the most indigent people get legal aid. And, you know, uh, the legal aid budget gets blown out by things like, oh, the Travis Vader trial. So uh, if we put people on retainer as public defenders and paid them a civil service salary and 
you know, that I think in the end might actually be cheaper and more efficient. But this is Alberta, so we never look at that. This was a really great example, too, of how much easier it is to be in opposition than in government because this scandal broke scandal. Well, this controversy broke last week. And on Tuesday, Brian Dean, a private member's bill, saying we need to open up the justice system and see what's going wrong there. And I actually asked him, you know, is this is this a matter of resources? There's a short-term problem here. Should the government pump in more resources? And he said, no, like, we need to just figure this out. There's, there's a backlog and there's inefficiencies that can be found. And then the next day, the Globe got the triage protocol and the Wild Rose was saying, this is a scandal. We need to pump resources into justice. <laughs> and then on Thursday, the government had to do that. And it just shows you that, like, it is very hard to govern, but in opposition, you can get away with stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, are there efficiencies that we could find? Sure, there are efficiencies. I mean, most of our courts don't sit through the summer. Judges get nice summer vacations. There are things we could be doing. But it, in the meantime, what we're doing is by pumping in the money, we're just sort of putting Band-Aids on things. I mean, the, the Crown Prosecutors Association, they don't have a union exactly, but the, the Association of Crown Prosecutors is unhappy. They say this isn't nearly enough money. The so, uh, the criminal trial lawyers are unhappy. They say that legal aid is not getting enough money and, and that the, the criminal side is not getting the resources it needs. What we really need is a rethink of the way we run our whole criminal justice system, and that can't just even be provincial. It has to be a national uh, look at how we could do this more efficiently. For example, um, you know, how cases that were traditionally heard in the Court of Queen's Bench are more and more now being heard in provincial court. So that streamlines the Court of Queen's Bench, but it, it you know, it, it drops the bulk of things, you know, to, to a lower court. Sorry, so do court, do they not hear things during the summer? Well, they do, but not as much. But what about all the drunken assaults when everyone gets well, hot and well, drunk? The, 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 and those they do, but I mean, like the Court of Queen's Bench, the, the, oh, the, okay. the, you know, the, the more serious. Honestly, Canadians things. in your summer vacations, it will forever be a mystery I, I, to I, me. I don't want to say that there are no trials in the summer. No, but that like, would be wrong. If I said that, just like <laughs> pretend I didn't. But but the no, bureaucracy here just basically shuts. Things yeah. shut during, don't shut, but they just slow right the hell down. You know that summer. from it's your weird. lonely summers at the ledge. That's right. I'm the only one in there. <laughs> Oh, Graham, so I want to I switch gears to one of your columns this week about when question period first started off. And the first question from Brian Jean, what was it, Graham? It was a carbon tax. <laughs> there was like, you know, the, the last question he asked in December was carbon tax, and then you fast forward to March and it's carbon tax. It's like the same question period. It was deja vu all over again. The, the House did get a bit more lively later in the week as we got more issues is the one we just discussed, the, the yeah. justice issue. But at the beginning, it's the carbon tax. And uh, it's interesting, uh, a bit he a more heated responses from the, uh, from the government, though. They're getting a lot more partisan in the House. Um, when you get, the, of course, the opposition attacking the government, and the response from the government this week is a lot more, I thought, partisan in terms of making, taking shots against, uh, for example, Sarah Hoppen, who was in the House this week as spokesman for the Premier because the Premier wasn't actually in the House this week. She was in Houston, Texas on a, a or, trade Or mission. just hanging out in her office when QP was on. Uh, on the Thursday, I yeah. believe, yeah. So so we have uh, the opposition attacking the government and the response from Sarah Hoppin was pretty much, uh, well, you guys are all in, in disarray over there fighting among yourselves, the Wild Rose and the PCs. But I did find the beginning of question period to be uh, lackluster. Uh, things are picking up, but it's interesting to see, of course, the big issue for the opposition is the carbon tax. It'll be the big issue moving forward for them. 
Um, it's got a dead end potentially if the price of oil goes up and the economy recovers and people will forget about the carbon tax. And the thing is they will because the price of oil goes up and down. And so the carbon tax won't be as big an issue. But it just seemed to me for the first day the opposition had no new ideas. Like things popped up. But it wasn't really so much from the opposition. It was actually events happening beyond the House that were actually driving these. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. I think Graham uh, put his finger on it there because the premier wasn't there. And Sarah Hoffman was taking all those first questions. And she may be the smartest person on the government benches, but she's also the most partisan by uh, about 10 yards. What and did she say? Wild rose bozos? <laughs> there was I a lot of wild rose bozo eruptions. eruptions. Bozo yeah. eruptions. Which go. is actually what Danielle Smith called it when they had that happening during the election and she was trying to stamp out the bozo eruptions and but it is really interesting because Hoffman I think set the tone for the the it was like three days this week that were just like it was raucous in there and then it wasn't the speaker spanking people for he was doing a lot of spanking and there was I didn't mean that literally <laughs> just so we're clear this is not in a, in this a verbal not, sense this is not many shades of gray <laughs> well <laughs> I think the thing that happened yesterday that we actually stuck around later because uh, the PCMLA Rodney he had a point of order because uh, for Saskatchewan MLA Jessica Littlewood had mouthed or he said said something to him and I saw her do it and I thought it, it looked to me like she said something mean to him I don't it's hard to know but it was according to them she said shame shame according to him he's she said something that rhymes with what up which I can only assume is shut up yeah uh, which you're not allowed to say in there I I'm not a good lip reader but just with the vociferousness that she she kind of pointed at him and said it. I was thinking it might have been a swear word, so that's why we stuck around. But um, he didn't. He wasn't even talking. He, no, was, he just, was just chilling. He was just chilling. <laughs> he was just sitting there watching the whole thing go back and forth. It was just really, really interesting. My, my daughter had a really excellent kindergarten teacher, Janet Gwinden. Maybe we need to bring her in. For <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is the interesting thing is that this tone was set. I think, by the way Hoffman was answering those questions. And I didn't understand it at first, but then I started to realize, oh, yeah, the premier's not here. And she's, when she answers these questions, I mean, she's partisan. That is the nature of the place. But there is an escalation when Hoffman's answering those questions. And I don't think it did a lot to elevate the debate. Well, there's two of them. There's um, Hoffman and Shannon Phillips are very partisan. It's interesting. Phillips actually names the Wild Rose, actually says the Wild Rose. And normally, historically in Alberta, the governments don't normally deign to actually name the actual opposition parties in the House. Um, Although Lougheed certainly didn't, and a lot of them don't, um, haven't. But you actually have Phillips pointing to the Wild Rose. And And also, at times, the responses from the government to legitimate questions was just an attack against the opposition. Yeah, it that wasn't, happened a lot. It did. And it seemed that, so you have a question from the opposition. It's heated, but that's fine. But it's a legitimate question. And the, op, and the government's response was strictly to attack the opposition and then sit down without actually answering the question. That happened a fair amount this week. In Saskatchewan, it used to be when Brad Wall was away. It was like, oh, when dad's away, the kids will play. <laughs> because whenever he wasn't there, it would just devolve into more yelling and more. He, and I don't know, maybe the same is true here. Uh, when, you know, if Rachel Notley's away, then the kids will play. Well, I think if you had, for example, Joe Cece, you know, taking those questions, I think a different tone would be set. And it is just because it's the first couple of questions. So when you get that going, you get kind of heated. And even in the gallery, you feel it. Like you start to get that little bit of adrenaline going that this is going to be good. Uh, I think that it comes out that way. But even Joe Cece was getting a little bit yeah, uh, he feisty, was. which well, is Well, actually, during the them. Women's uh, Day 
member statements, uh, I've never seen a more grudging standing ovation than what the front benches of the NDP, the back benches all immediately stood up. After Leela Rahir yeah, from Leela. the Wild Rose did her statement. And yeah, so it was a, a nice standing ovation for uh, from the back benches, but the front benches, they first it looked like they weren't going to stand up. And then Cece w- was up for about a millisecond and sat down. It was really, it was kind of, it was just petty and kind of disappointing. That's but really good. In Edmonton, usually an audience will give a standing ovation to anything. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's actually a story <laughs> a few years ago in the paper about how we applaud everything. Of course, but the thing is, the highlight of the week occurred on Thursday, before question period, I believe. Right, Emma? <laughs> That was Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? Yeah. That was Wednesday. You're uh, right. It was Wednesday. Not... That was right. Are we talking about the most embarrassing International thing that's happened Women's to me Day. in years? Can you, can you explain what actually happened, Emma, in the house? And Emma's up there okay. physically in the question. Uh, I, yeah, so I sit up in the, in the press gallery above, uh, above, oh God, this is embarrassing. I'm just reliving it. I'm like, I feel like I'm going to blush and, and again. For, for anybody who's never been in there, it's, like, it's a little balcony up on, on the top where you can look yes. down. And it, it's like, it's like you know, it's like being at the zoo. You can look down at the animals <laughs> in the pit. And there's lots of awkward eye contact that you make with MLAs. Yeah, and, and you know, they send notes around. You can watch who's saying what to, who's paying attention, who's reading a book, who's doing this, who's doing that. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm up there for question period. And... Um, before question period, of course, they do introductions in the house. So if they've got school kids visiting or people from their constituency association or family members, they will introduce them and, you know, please please rise and enjoy the traditional greeting of the house, which is, of course, everyone, you know, does a little round of applause. So Nathan Cooper, Wild Rose MLA, got up. And uh, he st- when he's, honestly, when he started talking, I was like, oh, this is, where is he going with this? Because it was something along the lines of, on International Women's Day, I would like to welcome um, a... A female reporter who I didn't even know what he said because at that point I thought, what's he going for here? And then I realized he was talking about me. And then I was so, I was, oh God, Stuart came up. I came in late. About three quarters of the way through and I was sitting there just mortified. I was completely red and I was like, oh my God, he's introducing me in the house. Oh shit. Well, you're, you know, you're an international woman. Yeah, that's right. So, and then when the speaker, when, you know, when he said, you know, please rise and enjoy the traditional welcome of the house and everyone cheered and I was like, okay, this is the most embarrassing thing. Stuart's come up and he's like, why does Emma look mortified and why is she (laughs) holding her head in her hands? So I did a a very brief standing and kind of nodded and went, hi, so I did not know for the record, that that was going to happen. It's important to note that you didn't know because somebody yes. from the Premier's office came down to the press gallery and said, what's mm. going on here uh, with the uh, the media and the wild rose in cahoots? Yeah, he, and, was, he was serious, Paula. And, 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 the, and the question became, well, then why is Emma still tweeting things about question paper when she's obviously been tainted by being oh, introduced for- by the wild rose? For- and, <laughs> and we were all kind of caught off guard thinking, well, wow, for, what the heck? For heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and I think also we were having a bit of a debate about whether or not Cooper should have done that. But I think if you are a politician giving a little shout out to a female reporter on International Women's Day, that's wow. fair game. I mean, it's a bit rid- it's I mean, awkward that, as hell for the reporter. There, there, but... there have been women in the press gallery for 40 years. I mean, it's not like it's not like Emma, bless her buttons, is some remarkable <laughs> pioneer. For, I mean, I should say it's, it's longer. I mean, there, there, there have been women covering the legislature since the I 1930s. Would, I would argue that she's a pioneer of female reporters live tweeting QP I'm a, I'm in the Alberta legislature. <laughs> and, no, and I'll jump in no, here. And, no, she's, she's not even that. <laughs> no, it, it is actually, because you know what happens, Paula, 
Oh, at the beginning, like years ago, we used to all go up into the press gallery and sit there. Yeah, I and loved, watch. I loved sitting in the press. But, when I filled in for you, I always sat up. But then what happens in the last few years? People tend so few of us. We tend to end up sitting in our offices, listening on the speakers. You can watch it on television. You end up having to multitask. You're, yeah. you're checking other stories. If you're up there, it's difficult to, to multitask. But what Emma has done, and I'm, I'm, I'm being serious here and sincere, is that she's actually sitting for most of the question period watching it because you actually do get the nuances. Oh, and yeah. Stuart's up there as well watching the nuances. Oh, it's, it's way more fun. Also, it's really good exercise because there's no elevator. You have to go up those tiny little stairs in the back. Puff, 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 puff. And so what's happening is that Emma's actually getting the nuances. But what, what's happening, the politicians are used to looking up and seeing nobody in that press gallery, like physically, and then all of a sudden Emma arrives and she pops up there and she's there all the time, which I think is probably why Nathan Cooper pointed you out because he doesn't see very many reporters up there. Yeah, I have to admit, when I when I filled in that year for Graham and he was on sabbatical um, and I was sitting up there, and, and Graham's right, I mean, because I was the only person up there, and I remember Thomas Lee Kazak and Doug Griffith and Roz Sherman, who were all on the back bench together and bored, used to make flashcards and, and sh- put them up <laughs> for me to read, uh, just, just like... Just perform perform for me because really at the end of the day, you're right, they're playing to a live audience and if you're the only live audience. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I want to switch gears now from that mortifying <laughs> subject over to um, the uh, Wild Rose on Campus story, which is just getting wilder and wilder. We have a guy who maybe doesn't exist. We have um, some men's rights activists. We have the screening of a of a film. We have feminism as a cancer. We have all kinds of things there. Paula, you were really keen to talk about this. <laughs> you looked so gleeful when you said, can we talk about this? Yeah, all absolutely. right. So we need to understand here the, 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 the frame of this, that there's a, there's a documentary, I use the term in, can you see the air quotes, uh, called <laughs> The Red Pill, which has been getting a lot of play in the United States. And it's a documentary sympathetic to the men's rights movement. Uh, and the uh, Wild Rose Campus Club at the University of Calgary was going to show The Red Pill as an event, um, nicely timed to go with International Women's Day. Um, to start and, the conversation, Paula. Yes, and uh, just, to, just to start a conversation. Yeah. So the invitation went out to see this film, which is provocative in itself. And the invitation was even more provocative because it said, you know, we all know feminism is cancer, not a cancer, but feminism is cancer. And so come to see this film and start the conversation. So when that broke on Twitter and everybody was wildly sharing it, the Wild Rose uh, Club in Calgary quickly said that the uh, invitation had been sent out by their uh, their person in charge of publicity and that that person had been fired. And that was a first year, by the way. Yes, a first year student whom they subsequently identified uh, as uh, a, a kid named Robert McDavid. But the gauntlet, which is the UFC Calgary paper, did some excellent investigative reporting and found out that there is no Robert McDavid registered at the University of Calgary. Uh, He had a Facebook page that went up for one day that described him as an engineering student. um, And who enrolled in 2014. So I'm not sure how that makes him a first year student, but carry on. But, you know, so there was this Facebook page that went up that had Pepe the Frog, who is the avatar favored by the men's right and alt right movements um, and the Facebook page had some offensive things on it but it went up and then it came down again and so we don't know if that was a Facebook page made 
to mock this person or to pretend that this person was real. But nobody, uh, the, the, the gauntlet has interviewed uh, from the Wild Rose Club, can confirm or deny the existence of this person. So it's really great to throw a scapegoat under the bus if he's <laughs> if he's imaginary. Meantime, uh, the Wild Rose Party, uh, corporate central party, has been furiously trying to disavow any association with this club. Oh, well, they're not really connected with us, and, and we disavow them. I mean, Jason Nixon was fast out the gate to tweet, you know, this is terrible. Um, and on the other hand, there are photographs of members of the Wild Rose Caucus, I mean, in particular Derek Fildebrandt, posing with members of this club. So the pretense that that, that these are like, you know, off, off-brand Wild Rosers is, is a bit hard to take. And on top of all of that, in the midst of all this, Maxime Bernier, who is uh, the self ex- self-described frontrunner for the uh, leadership of the Federal Conservative Party, put out his own red pill meme that had a picture of him and Derek Fildebrandt, uh, you know, take the red pill. And then afterwards, when people started making a fuss about this, he said, no, 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 I was referencing that 1999 film, The Matrix. I had no idea that the red pill had anything to do with the men's right movement or the alt-right or the Ronald Rose on campus at the U of C. I was talking about a completely different other red pill the one in the, something Keanu Reeves something something the, the interesting point about Wild Rose on campus um, that is worth noting here too is that to call yourself a Wild Rose group you actually don't have to get they're introducing rules to changes but you don't have to get any okay from a party central you can just call yourself I could go down the street I could Stuart and I could could form our own little because obviously I'm a Wild Rose stooge now we all saw the Nathan <laughs> Cooper introduce me um you can start your own little Wild Rose Club and call yourself a Wild Rose Club and you don't have to get the blessing of your of, of the party and you can use their logo, but they are introducing rules to change that, which they have now fast-tracked after this entire kerfuffle. Right. Meantime, I have people saying to me on Twitter, well, don't I understand that these people weren't Wild Rosers at all? They're actually Jason Kenny stalking horses. <laughs> and really, Jason Kenny orchestrated this whole thing, at which point I muted that conversation because <laughs> I just... Jason Kenny's enrolled as an engineering student called Robert McDavid. <laughs> Soylent Green is people. I mean, I I think the other thing too is that if you read anything by the previous comms director of that club, she was saying, "I got the hell out of there because this movement was starting to form, and it's you know it's something that I think happens at universities where the misogynistic kind of takeover of wild rose on campus." I had had so many people tweet at me, "Feminism is cancer," and I was like, "No, you know what? I've had cancer." Ladies and gentlemen, you know, they got rid of it with a big sharp knife and a lot of radioactive dye. And, you know, I've been irradiated and chopped up and I don't have cancer anymore, but I'm going to have feminism forever and always. Hooray. And then once I tweeted that, people said, well, you know, you're halfway cured. Oh, my God. See how this played out politically, because then you had the NDP all over this. Of course, yeah. Sandra Jansen stood up in the House, and she Sorry, had a... when you say Sandra Jansen, NDP, I still need to just recalibrate <laughs> my Well, head. yeah, the former PC <laughs> who became an NDP because she said she was being attacked by people like Jason Kenney's supporters, um, because she was a woman in, in politics. So she stood up in the House as an NDP uh, member, an MLA, and uh, did a a really strong statement in the house attacking you know this kind of thing and attacking the wild rose um and you had, you had it also the again going back to this idea of being partisan attacks from the government against the wild rose you had sometimes the answers to questions from the opposition were government ministers shooting back the wild rose thinks that feminism is cancer exactly yeah. and so you had this they're using it as a club now and of course it is there is um a club club 
Yeah, the club club. There's actually there's a narrative now. Of course, the NDP is trying to stick against the wild rose that uh, it's too far right, socially conservative, and it's, it's it's against women's rights and things like this. So you have this narrative, and it comes up again this week. It's not quite the lake of fire, but you have you know echoes of that. Uh, here in what's happening in the House. And I think this is a real problem for the Wild Rose. They can try and say we, we knew nothing about it. They did know about it, as you pointed out, Paula, some time ago about this UFC um, campus. But also um, Brian Jean at a news conference admitted he knew for months that they were using the Wild Rose brand without real permission. So I think this is a problem for the, the Wild Rose. It does stick it sticks to them. Sandra Jansen also tabled a whole bunch of photographs of that she found online of Wild Rose on campus and current Wild Rose members. She took great delight in tabling those. There's been say. some joyful tabling this week. There really has. Joyful tabling. <laughs> Is there any other kind? Now I just want to move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery. Stuart, what have you got for us this week? Uh, I have for you one of the best profiles I've read in quite a while. This is a New Yorker profile on uh, Jack White, the Woo. guy from the White Stripes. Who's emigrating is a big fan of. I love him. <laughs> but it is just a really fascinating profile of a very interesting man who's just, I think, at his heart, just a creative person and how much that takes him away from the mainstream and how much it takes him away from places like, for example, New York and L.A. Paula, what do you have for us this week? Well, I, I want to give a shout out to the gauntlet at the University of Calgary for its reporting on the Robert uh, McDavid story. But here, here. I also, I cannot let this podcast go by without telling everybody that you must go and see Get Out, which is smart and funny and wicked and an extraordinary um, metaphorical takedown of not just liberal racism in the United States, but of the institution of slavery itself. It is a remarkable film. And I know everybody is gushing about it, but they, with, with right, but just do yourself a favor. Do not watch the trailer. Do not read anything about this movie. Just trust me, go see it. Because if you spoil the plot twists, it, it's not half as, uh, it's not half as powerful. Uh, such a brilliant piece of political theatre. Nice. Um, I am going to recommend a BBC magazine piece. Uh, it is quite the harrowing read. It is about two teenage boys who were captured by the Islamic State and they were made to fight and um, about their experience and what they went through and having to train to kill for some... Uh, they had to pretend to be Muslim and for a cause that they did not believe in. It's quite the read. Now, uh, Graham? From the sublime to the ridiculous, this is nothing really weighty or important. It's a um, an interview on BBC talking to uh, a gentleman in his home office. He's wearing a suit and tie and as they're talking to him, his one of his children come in behind him, <laughs> like, I don't know, like a two-year-old, and then followed by a baby and a little, um, a, not a stroller, but, but what, like one, a one of those walker rolling walkers. walkers a walker, yes. rolling walker comes in behind him <laughs> as he's talking to the BBC, and then in comes a, a, I think it's a mother, I think, and kind of goes down on her hands and knees and begins pulling the children out. All the while, <laughs> this guy is talking to the BBC. It is, thing is, it's one thing to have a little baby come in, like a three, a two-year-old, and followed by the baby in a stroller, or the the walker. It is absolutely. It is hilarious. It was very It was funny. really funny. I saw on Twitter the BBC write back to him on Twitter and say, hey, would it be okay if we put that clip out separately? And he says, oh, I'm not sure. Is that not going to be one of like, like those weird like things that goes viral on the internet, is it? <laughs> yes, sir, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's fitting also that we have kids kind of swarming around the podcast. Yeah, right I now. think they're in fair. This is, this is the grade four class at George P. Nicholson, who are here for yeah. journal school. 
and oh. they are awesome. Hello, children. When I talked to them, their first question to me this week was, can you define fake news for us? Oh, bless And I souls. thought, wow, fourth grade, they're going far. Thank you guys so much for joining me, Stuart, Paula, Graham, and Sean Butts here to film some of this and put it up on edmontonjournal.com with all the rest of our episodes. I hope you all don't get my cold. Uh, you can find all of our episodes at edmontonjournal.com, but you can also find them on SoundCloud, iTunes, and TuneIn Radio. Hope you can all join us again this time next week on The Press Gallery. Press Gallery.